welcome to episode two of Role Play Grow, the podcast for tabletop entrepreneurs, creators, and fans. I'm Courtney Stover of Lighthearted Adventures, and in this podcast, we talk to the creators behind the brands in the tabletop roleplay gaming space about who they are and how they're turning their passion for gaming into a career. In today's interview, I have the privilege of chatting with Nix of Embassy Etching. Nix creates gorgeous etchings on glass and many other materials that pay tribute to some of our favorite games. A personal favorite of mine are his class-specific glasses, like a Bard, Druid, and Paladin. But one of the things that I really appreciate about Nix is his extremely positive attitude and his passion for the RPG community. If you follow him on Twitter, you'll know that he's your favorite punkle and always just a shining beacon in our feeds. Right off the bat in this episode, he actually offers some really wise words about how important it is to connect with the community that you're trying to work with it. So one quick word before we jump into this interview. Last week, we spoke with David Darris, the owner of Dice Envy, one of my favorite dice companies. They are an affiliate of ours. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, I highly encourage you to do so. And then go check them out. And then when you do, if you use code LIGHTHEARTADV, you'll get 10% off your order. You'll support an amazing company and you'll help support the show. Let's jump in to this episode with Nix. Welcome back. Today, I have the extreme privilege to introduce you to one of the kindest people in the TTRPG space. Uh, Nix is here with us today, and he is the owner and really talented artist of MC Etching, where he creates gorgeous etch designs on glassware, ornaments, and tokens, and sells them on his Etsy shop. So welcome, Nix. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to hear it. really just want to kind of dive right in. Uh, what is the next story? How far back do we want to go? <laughs> <laughs> Are we deep diving? Tell me about your childhood. <laughs> I mean, we can. <laughs> you know, one day I was nothing more than a thought. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into the gaming space? Uh, the gaming space? Well, I've always been a bit of a gamer. Uh, let's see. Let me think. When did I really first start? I think it was probably in the early early 90s i started hanging around and just you know kind of checking out the gaming spaces and whatnot i haven't done a lot of like ttrpg playing like for the longest time i've told this story a few times like i i avoided uh a lot of the ttrpg space because uh, my first experience with dungeons and dragons was literally like that stereotypical misogynistic racist just horrible experience like i literally flipped the table Oh, wow. Yeah. And just like and bounced and when just like I like I stayed away from it for, mo- for the most part for like 25 years just because I thought that was a an accurate representation. And now I'm like, I'm really mad <laughs> that I was lied to that that wasn't the entirety of the space. A fair amount of just like wargaming, like Warhammer, stuff like that. Never got too heavily invested. Always had friends that had stuff. So I never really bought a lot of my own. Um, but I, I always loved, I don't know, just the entire concept of just the whole gaming thing. Uh, I've always loved like RPG video games and stuff like that. And so I always like I would buy the books and and you know, look at the art, but I would never really play a lot. 
a little bit of World of Darkness stuff in the mid 90s, back when it was, you know, it was pretty much just Operation Edgelord all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A a tiny bit of I accidentally found a Vampire the Masquerade LARP group in the town I was living in. Ah, yeah, I I literally was like I was going to get food uh, one night and came around the corner at the local college and there was a bunch of uh, people either dressed as bikers or as business people. And they were just aggressively Rochambeauing at each other. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this looks fun. So like that was a side quest for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so did you just go over right at that second and join in and ask? Yeah, I was just like, what? I was just like, uh, so what y'all doing? And I just kind of got roped into it and, you know, did that for six months. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> What brought you back into playing? Uh, I think like a lot of people that got brought into it, it was, uh, uh, well, the genesis of it was really Will Wheaton's uh, tabletop. Because I I got laid off from my job and I was unemployed for a while. And Lordy, I think this was mid-2010-ish, 2011-ish. And so that's when I really tried to do the glass etching thing, because I, I, I've done it for like as a hobby for 20 years. Um, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to do the thing. And I, you know, and I went out and got the semi-professional equipment. So I was spending a lot of time in my garage. Uh, and I was starting to incorporate computers more and digital design into into my glass etching, because before I, I did all my images on, uh, on like uh, a light table. So I just started watching like YouTube documentaries and stuff like that just to have noise. And so it felt like I had coworkers <laughs> <laughs> and I've been a long time Will Wheaton fan. So when I found uh, their stuff, like I latched in pretty hard um, with that. And then when they started talking about uh, critical role, I was like, oh, you know, there are a few episodes into this critical role thing. I'll, I'll give it a shot. and boy, did they set that hook? (laughs) Like I had, like I was, I think like the fourth episode of campaign one is when I went back to episode one and started watching from the beginning. And I, I I went through that whole campaign and just like, just sitting in my garage, cranking out glass pieces, uh, you know, just listening to them in the background. Yeah. That's really Fun. And like you got in really early for that too. Like it's a, it's a lot harder to kind of discover critical role now and go back like, all right, let's just spend hundreds of hours catching up real quick. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it, it, uh, it's become an empire. And it's Mm -hmm. one of those things is like, I just kind of like, I stumbled across it because of Will Wheaton stuff. And that gang is real good at setting that hook. Yes, they are. And so from there, it just kind of branched out to, I, you know, like I had had a Twitter account for, I, I don't know how old my Twitter account is, but it was just, it was dormant. I would occasionally tweet about pieces that I had put on Etsy and like I had n- none followers. I had no idea what I was doing. And then it was like, like I said, I got laid off and I spent a lot of time alone. Uh, and I just, you know, I ended up hitting some depression walls, uh, a lot of anxiety issues, um, and so I just, uh, one of those things where it's just, you know, when I hit situations like that, I kind of go back to basics and kind of just reinvent myself from the ground up. 
And it's one of those things I've done of the few times in my life where I'm just like, all right, this, this path isn't working. Um, I'm going to need to, you know, take it down to the fundamentals of like who, who I am and what's not like the core of me. And then look at who do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be? And what do I got to do to get there? And so I just, you know, I just invested in the community that I found on Twitter, uh, you know, and just started participating. Yeah. And it has gone surprisingly well. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a bit overwhelming sometimes. Like, that's interesting. It really takes a lot of courage to say that, like, I'm not happy with how my life is right now and I want to change and actually make that change. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of those things when you see yourself do it the first time uh, and you realize you have the capacity to affect great change on yourself. It's it really is uh, an eye opening experience. Like I grew up in a mountain town where like it was literally uh, my entire school had like 20 people in it. And it's oh, wow. like early on, I was the overweight kid who didn't play sports ball in the town that loved sports ball. I read comic books and you know, I was the consummate nerd. And so, you know, just that whole backstory of just like severely bullied, severely picked on. Uh, and I just I didn't like anything about anything. And I ended up because of all of that, I got sent to live with my biological father and moved to a it's still a small town, but slightly bigger i mean it was a city as far as i was concerned um and just one of those things where i realized like i'm walking in fresh i can like they have no idea who i am like i can just be that person that i want to be and you know once you realize you can do that like you just you, like you can just be the person you want to be if you want to be a kinder person be a kinder person if you want to be a person that makes friends just i mean it's hard to take those first steps when you're used to being so isolated and you're used to people reacting negatively to your presence, gathering that courage for that first run at interacting with people uh, th that you've never interacted with before, the potential landmine of that. Once you can get over that and just kind of dive into it and you realize that you can just change on a fundamental level like that and just like, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, it's that whole like, if you want to be happy, even if you're not just start acting like you are, or it's like, if you want to be a nicer person, even if you're annoyed by everyone, just, just start it, like, just be that way. And yeah. eventually it'll become more normal for you. Well, it's one of those things too, is just like, I made that decision of just like, I want to be the kindness that I never got, you know? And I just started, uh, for me, Twitter, a lot of it is there, uh, a lot of people wear their heart on their sleeve out there because they think they're just putting it out into the void and they don't expect the void to give it a damn you know they're just mm -hmm. kind of dropping it out there and but when you look at folks and they're obviously in pain and you stop and take a moment and go well i've been in this kind of pain before what did what did i wish somebody would say and or do for me and just take a minute and talk to someone on a human level and just be like you know even if you can't directly help them just be like i, I hear you like the void cares <laughs> That's great. So I know you started a Twitch channel. What what was kind of the impetus? Was it kind of wanting to do the same thing of being able to connect with people more like you have been on Twitter? Like, how did that get started? A lot of people really pushed me to do it. 
because I, I, you know, a lot of people were just like, wow, what you do is really interesting. And I don't think I could ever. And I'm like, no, literally anybody can do this. Like literally anybody can do this. Um, and it was just like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to show you, like, I'm going to do, cause I started the Twitch channel and I did a couple of live streams where I'm like, look, this is all I do. It's not overly fancy. You know, it requires a little bit of equipment and some rudimentary skills. Uh, and people were more enamored with, uh, just like the outlandishness of me, I guess, <laughs> you know, and I've, I, I did a podcast a while, like a long time ago when I was 20 and just like had no clue about anything what was going on is that dreadful you know edgelord 20 year old white kid Ugh, god. <laughs> oh god i was that guy for it for a spell and you know and i've always like i've been in drama class i had a radio show in high school for a little while and so like i feel very comfortable in this and i'm a talker and so it just kind of grew out of that. People just wanted the space to come and hang out. And I needed coworkers, honestly. Like I needed to feel like I was in a workplace again, just because spending hours in your garage isolated. It, like at first, it's really liberating. And you're like, I could do whatever I want. I'm at work in my sweatpants. Like nobody, like you can do whatever you want. And after a while, you're just like, God, I miss the sound of people. <laughs> <laughs> like I've literally found like crowd tracks just to put that like office ambiance, just to put that on to just to feel like there's like other human beings around. Honestly, that makes sense. I've worked remotely for a couple of years now. And so sure with the pandemic adjustment wasn't that bad, but it was still like, I, I would go to a coffee shop just to be somewhere be around people. So I totally get that. Yeah, because I'm a very much like a cafe denizen Mm -hmm. of just like I like that background murmur of just like happy people doing things. And just like I really enjoy interacting with people. And so like to just go from like working with, you know, I was a department manager where I was working. Uh, Like I had my main building and I oversaw two other satellite buildings and just like, cause I worked for the local newspaper in the insertion and distribution department. So my crew on two shifts, we put all of the ads into the paper and then we sent them out the door to the carrier. So I'm working with my crew. I'm working with other newspapers crew. I'm working with independent contractors. And then I went to me and a dog. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was a bit of a culture shock being that alone. Yeah. So I do kind of want to dig a little bit more into what it is that you do and what you're creating. You mentioned that you were kind of doing this etching as a hobby. Like, how did that start? Like, how did you first learn how to do this? I started in high school. My father uh, had a friend who primarily did stained glass, but she also did a little bit of glass etching. And I did that, you know, work for a fa- family friend for a summer thing, basically like a the, the short apprenticeship. And I never did take with the stained glass work, but she had a sand blaster and she was like, well, let's try some glass etching. And I really, really just grabbed onto that. Um, I've always had a thing for just like iconography. So I like, I just really, and at first it was just mirrors once I got, and I didn't really do much of anything with it until I got laid off and I was like, okay, I'm going to see exactly how I can just absolutely MacGyver this into other things. Cause like I said, when I started, I was using 
like tracing paper, a light box to do all my images. So it, it, it was, it was super time consuming and it was, uh, really hard with respect to repeating designs with accuracy. I was like, well, I'm decent with a computer and a little bit, I've got a little bit of self-taught, uh, graphics editing knowledge. Like, I wonder if there's a way I could make my own, cause this is pre home-based, uh, like crick cuts this is like way pre quick crick cut so i just started working with uh i started with gimp the the free graphics editing software and just started making stuff and printing it to sticky back vinyl and i putting it on glass and hand cutting it all with an exacto knife wow <laughs> yeah i think i put like maybe twenty thousand pieces through my sandblaster hand cut that's impressive yeah, and I still do hand cut from time to time because I found a lot of my more detailed images. Uh, I'm like, I'm leaving bits of vinyl behind that's like the size of a human hair. And these these uh, desktop cutters just won't do it. So you start doing this, uh, you're doing all this etching by hand, and then you get laid off and decide that you want to see that you can, if you can make this into something. Like kind of what were the steps that you took to really start it as more of a business? Well, I was lucky because when after I got laid off in the paper and I was like, I'm going to do this and it didn't really pan out because I didn't know how to business. Like, I still don't. But I like at the time, I like I really, really didn't know how to do the business. And so I ended up getting another job uh, like five years after I got laid off. Uh, see, I got a job at the big blue hardware store. And then I got laid off from that place. No, I, I left that job for what I thought was a better job, which ended up being just hor- horrifically abusive workspace. And at that point, like I had really started, I I had gotten about, I was at about 4,000 followers on Twitter and I was getting more and more involved in the community. So when I got let go because of the p- pandemic, I was like, well, here we go. Like I've got enough of a base that I've built up that I can see it. Let me see if I can do this, do this. I just, one thing I always tell everybody, if you want to, if you want to sell to a community, you, you got to be part of the community. You can't just bust in the door and be like, buy my stuff. I'm like, and that's what I tried years ago. And it just, it doesn't work. Like nobody, like it, you get actively pushed back against when you just show up on a scene and you're like, whoop, buy my stuff. Yeah. It's like, who's this tool? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just look like Walmart at that point. <laughs> you know, if you, if you want to sell to a community, you got to be part of, you know, it's, I mean, I, I say it all the time. It's community over profit. You know, and that's uh, just a hundred percent where I've been for the last few years is just, you know, if I turn a profit, great. As long as my bills are paid, that's really all I'm here for. Um, my biggest thing is just community outreach and interaction. That's what I care about. I mean, that's my main focus and the, like my business just kind of is the thing I use to fund that. (laughs) So you're selling things on Etsy. What was kind of the thought process or reasoning on why you picked Etsy to be your storefront? Uh, at the time it was because Etsy was just coming into existence. Okay. 
and I really didn't do a lot of business with it. Um, I mean, it was just, I just arbitrarily picked that one because it was, everybody seemed, and it seemed to fit my niche of just like handmade. And at the time I wasn't doing any like made to order stuff. It was primarily just, I made a thing, I would put it on there and maybe sell it. Coming out of it with what I'm doing now, Etsy is becoming more and more restrictive as to what I can do on it as a platform and how I sell things and structure my, like my listings. Um, but it was one of those things where it's like, well, this seems to be picking up. So I'll just jump on with this at the beginning and see where it goes. I, I think it was pretty much that just like, you know, that crafty aspect to it kind of hooked me. And I was like, all right, well, that's what I do. So we'll give it a go. Yeah, that makes sense. So are you thinking about kind of branching out beyond Etsy or have you kind of already dipped your toes in some other areas? See, I, I don't know. I keep, it's one of those things that's the hard part about being a one person operation is just trying to like, you want to, like, I have no idea about website stuff. You know, I'd like to maybe move to my own storefront, but I don't know the best way to do that. I don't know if it would be better than Etsy or the same and kind of bad in a different way. So it's one of those things where it's like, well, this is working for me now. So I just, I, you know, I'm one of those, like, I guess I'll just hang here until something literally falls in my lap and I go, oh, this is better. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the products that you're making now? And then if they're like, did you start off making the same thing as the beginning? Has there been some kind of like evolution and just kind of what that process has looked like over time? Well, it's always been nerd stuff uh, in one form or another. <laughs> what I, one thing I used to do a lot of was uh, I do a lot of portraits on pint glasses. So I would do a lot of character portrait, portraits at the time. When I first started, it was uh, Firefly. Oh, Firefly cast for days. <sighs> nice. Um, <laughs> I, I would, I had an entire set, uh, uh, a glass with every cast member and then one glass with the ship. Oh, that sounds amazing. It was one of those things where it's just like, at some point I got a, cause I never did international shipping cause I was just terrified of it. Uh, I got a, a message from a, a person in Australia that was like, look, like I really want this entire set. How do we make that happen? And it, it, they paid a hundred dollars in shipping. And I had to ship 13 pounds of glass to Australia. I'd never been more anxiety ridden in my life <laughs> until the day they sent me an email and said, it's here and they're all fine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But you know, yeah, it was always nerd stuff. Usually it was like vaguely comic book. A lot of like, you know, a, a, like a lot of stuff you see on Etsy. It's a lot of bootleg stuff, you know, a lot of knockoff stuff, uh, and I, I've moved away from that more as more and more as I, as I've embraced my ability to graphically design because I have never been formally trained or anything like that. I just started playing with my own imagery because the idea of, you know, I mean, is Superman logos on stuff all day? Uh, you know, it, you're, it's you know, it's IP theft. I mean, there's no beating around the bush at the end of the day. And it's just like, look, I need to get away from this. I need to stop making bootleg stuff. I can probably come up with my own designs. Let's start playing with it. And the the TTRPG stuff like really allowed me to kind of flourish in that because you could take a lot of basic shapes 
And if you're, you know, if you're a gamer, like, you know what, you know what a D20 silhouette looks like, like you just, you just, you know. And so it allowed me to kind of really try on those pants of, you know, being an actual, I mean, I still don't consider myself a graphic designer. I just kind of throw stuff together and it, people like it. <laughs> Do you have some kind of process that you try to follow for getting inspiration for new designs? Um, I, I look at the details on the stuff around me because I'm obsessed with things like filigree, uh, iconography, little little marks on things. And I'll, you know, I'll see like a little you know, design swirl and something that'll catch my eye and be like, okay, now what if we extrapolate on that? And what if we build in some of this? And what if we add in some of that? Or I'll start with a baseline of like, what do I want to put on the, what do I want the, the focus of this to be? Do I want it to be a D20? Do I want it to be, you know, dice? Do I want it to be something else? Um, and then what do I want to put around? What I want to, what do I want to decorate it with? Uh, what theme am I going for? Am I going like for an Art Nouveau look, something like that? And anytime my brain just randomly spits something fun at me, I try and write it down. <laughs> that happens a lot. Just, just my brain just goes, you know, what if? And I, I, I'm grasping for a pen. Do you hold like a lot of inventory on hand? Are you kind of making things to order? Like once you come up with something that you think is going to be a best set, like or be a popular seller, like how does that kind of work for you? Generally with a lot of stuff, I'll prototype a new idea. I'll make one just so I can get photographs and then I'll do, I'll throw it up there. And if there's a good response, I'll kind of promo it more. And I do made to order. I'm, gonna start carrying an inventory i was supposed to this year start selling at local conventions but you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so once that's a thing again i'm gonna i'm gonna start keeping uh but it's been good because i've been able to uh, i'm able to track my online sales of what i move more of so i'll know have a better idea going into a con like with my different styles of of character class classes be like, all right, I sell an absolute ton of bards, but nobody ever buys a monk. So I'm going to make a monk and <laughs> nine bards. So that's really, it's been a kind of a blessing to, to kind of gather this data on what people actually want. Uh, Cause that's always, cause I've got stuff from like 20 years ago that I made that I thought would sell that did not. <laughs> Yeah, that's always the challenge. You're like, this is amazing. It's going to be so cool. Everyone is going to love this. And you're like, but I really love it. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things like I've I've learned to prototype things now and just kind of crowdsource the, the community. I'll make one and I'll put it out there. And if people are like, yes, um, I like. We're like, okay, we'll go forward on this. If If I get one person that says I like and it like two months later, I go, hey, do you still like this thing? Uh, do you want it? <laughs> like, I'll give it to you. Like, I'll give it to you. Nobody else, nobody else wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, that brings us back to our earlier topic of how, how, you know, you can't just walk into a community and say, buy my stuff. It really, like, once you have that relationship with a larger amount of people, like they're the best people to go to, to say, Hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you want to see? Like, so how much of your 
process would you say involves getting like community input? I'd say like 99% of it because I've picked up a fair group of uh, artist mutuals that we constantly back and forth to each other. We'll send images and just be like, eh, <laughs> you know, like, is this any good? Uh, and then once I get past that phase and then we'll like, I'll make one and put it on the internet and just be like, ah, what about this? <laughs> You know, and so that's that's pretty much my design phase is just like have strange idea, run strange idea past friend, uh, run strange idea past community and then go whichever direction with it. Yeah. Do you ever do commissions? Uh, I do. I do a lot of commission work. Um, a lot of I do. Uh, a lot of people will send photos to me and I'll convert a photo into a stencil and I'll etch it onto a glass. That is a time consuming process. A lot of people will come to me for because that's see, that's that's the that's the niche where I live is, you know, you can get something put on a glass, but generally to get it for a decent pro most places now you got to order it by the gross. Like it's hard to get uh, like an etched glass piece that's like a one off unless you want to buy like, you know, a whole case of them. So, you know, I'm I feel that little niche where people can be like, hey, I have this strange idea for a thing that I want. Uh, can you make it? I'm like, yeah, I'll make one. That's fine. You know, so I end up making some of the strangest items <laughs> that like, like, well, I'm not sharing this on Twitter. I, I really hope they don't tag me in it because. <laughs> okay. But now I want to know. <laughs> yeah. This is some not safe for work stuff here at that. Uh, thank you for your patronage, but uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I won't be retweeting this. Thank you. <laughs> Once that once once rule 34 Twitter gets a hold of you, you're you're in trouble. I, I made I made I made the mistake of that joke one time. Be like, you know, and, you know, etched ludes are a thing. And I was like, oh, God, now my inbox is just absolutely saturated with questions. I was a joke. It was a joke. I was a joke. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a joke because <laughs> it's like, I, you know, I'm not judging, but I don't want be, that to be my primary source of income. Yeah, no, that's I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm okay with that. The occasional one, fine. Uh, that's, that's not what yeah. I want to make all the time. Not what I want to be staring at well, all the time. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, that's something I can't, I like, how do you commercially advertise for that? <laughs> you know, as a joke, I made quote unquote traveler stones just as a, a complete joke. And I'm like, what if I put a, a thing? What if I gestured a rock? What if I, what if I drew a, a thing on a rock? on a pretty rock and everybody was like, haha, do it. So I was like, okay, I'll make a, just a fistful of them. And like, I felt so strange making the listing that <laughs> in there, I just, I repeatedly put, I need you to be fully aware of what you're purchasing, dear client, <laughs> because I don't want you to get mad at me when you get this in the mail. And it's not what you thought it was. It's actually this thing. That I just, I don't want, please don't let your kids open them. Like, I'm just really uncomfortable with this. Please make sure this is what you really want. <laughs> How many of those did you sell? Oh, God, like 15 or 20. <laughs> like, not a lot, but enough to just be like, all right, okay, cool. And enough people were like, have heard me talk about it to where when they order it, they're like, I fully consent to you sending this to me. <laughs> <laughs> I understand what's what it is. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but 
because it's like it like it legitimately gives me anxiety with stuff like that because I'm like I don't want to accidentally send an engraving to somebody that's like oh what did I order I thought this was for charity <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know that's that's why that's like that's the only thing I've ever commercially done like that because it's just like that'll in and of itself just like gives me panic fair enough <laughs> <laughs> so it's like i don't i don't even know how i would advertise that is an option yeah brown bag etchies etchings so let's go back to what you do like to sell on a regular basis <laughs> so i know you've got a lot of the glassware but then can you tell us a little bit about the tokens and i've seen some ornaments and some of the other products a lot of that stuff is one of those I'm just kind of perusing the internet. And I'm like, oh, eventually found the ones that I'm using now. I just went on a giant internet rabbit hunt of glass tokens and I found just a gold mine. I was like, oh, bought a, a a gross of them and just started playing with them. And I was like, oh, I can put a lot of stuff on these. And then like with everything else, I just throw out a tweet. I'm like. You know, what was it? Uh, what was the 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 cleric? Oh, bless tokens. I was like, bless tokens? Question mark. And I was like, yeah. I was like, okay, here we go. I guess I got to design <laughs> a thing now. And then from there on, it just went to, uh, I was looking at minis and I was like, well, why do like, you see on all the virtual tabletops, everybody's got quote unquote tokens. I'm like, what if somebody doesn't want to paint a mini? What if they just want like a cool token? I'm like, okay, so now I got to design stuff to represent all of the different classes, you know, or what if the DM wants something to use as like an in-game MacGuffin, Uh, you know, just some glass stones with strange arcane glyphs on them that they can show to their players or hand out to their players and and just kind of enhance that tabletop experience, you know, with something that like they can tangible, they can get their hands on. I've talked about it before. It's like, I like to look at the tabletop and just be like, okay, what's missing? Like gamers really like, we like, we have our like little altar in front of us of our things, you know, our little MacGuffins that we bring to the game space for whatever purpose they serve. And I was like, okay, so where's a little niche that I can, what do do people need? Everybody's got a drink. So glassware got that covered and their tokens and MacGuffins and, counters and uh things to keep track of stuff and just things that look cool and so i just i'm trying to fill that need which tokens would you say have been the most popular um my character class tokens um i've moved uh, quite a few of those okay so are people using those like instead of the minis uh, it's just you know here's the bard here's the cleric yeah okay you know, and it's and it's nice because I've noticed like a lot of uh, the the dice vault makers now have uh, the little section in the dice vaults that where you can stick a mini, mm-hmm. and my, one of my tokens will fit in there. Okay, so do they tend to be the same size as just a normal? Yeah, about about, uh, about the same base size. Okay, yeah. cool. One thing that I always kind of like to ask on these is what would you say has been the most challenging part of MC etching so far? Balancing all of it. Just like as a one person made to order operation, uh, trying to to cross platform and keep everything like moving efficiently. 
Are you still doing everything in your garage? Yep. So how do you kind of, what, what's your process for fulfilling an order? Um, well, if it's something that I have pre-designed, like, and, you know, Etsy just notifies me, hey, you sold a thing. Um, if I have nothing else going, I'll just go into the computer, pull up that design, print it out on the, on the or cut it out on the cutter, uh, walk it over to my secondary workbench slash because i've got in my shop i've got my computer station and then on the other side i've got like a, a physical workstation where i do the the glass work i'll stick the design to some glass weed it out mask it off run it through the sand blaster zip out the door if it's something i got a custom commission like turn a turn a photo into a stencil i just like i'll get up in the mornings um and that's one reason I Twitch stream in the mornings too, because like my sandblaster is loud and I don't want to be that neighbor. <laughs> so it's like, I don't, I won't start actually etching anything until at least 10 o'clock. So, and I wake up like 3 a.m. every day. So from like uh, probably about 5 or 6 a.m. till about 10, that's when I do my Twitch streaming, I do my design work, anything that's quiet. Um, and then once it's done, it's just like everything else. Uh, I just get it cut out, get it slapped on glass and run it through. How long are you spending on kind of each item or each order? Uh, if you take my, just my standard, my, the original class glasses that I did, that's just say the character class and they have the little border design in the corner, uh, Depending on, let's just say the bard, because the bard is just absolutely extra in the design. That probably takes me an hour and a half to two hours to cut, stick, weed, mask, blast, clean, pack, and ship. And then what about for a commissioned piece? For commissioned, uh, I just got done with one uh, set that I haven't even etched them yet. It's taken me two months to work on the photos oh wow <laughs> because it was like it was three photo set that they needed turned into um stencils to get etched onto pint glasses and so it's taken me and they're like older smaller really pixely photos because i pretty much got to go in and hand draw them as stencils um so i it's about two months for three photos uh and then now i'm at the process where I can do cut them out and get them blasted. And that'll probably take me uh, two hours to do that part. So it see, I'm probably working on those about four to five hours a week. I was working on those three photos and that's, you know, just like any graphic artist, just a constant slew of like, yay, this is good. Walk away, come back. No, this is trash. Do it again. <laughs> yeah. Brenton is the artist in our, little two-person business and so there, there will definitely be days where i'm like i, I just I, I need you to just say that it's done it looks really good i promise <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's one of those things it's like no there is an errant pixel there that won't <laughs> that won't cooperate we're taking it back to formula and you're like <laughs> just why brain why so when somebody does commission you do you like how much of a lead time do you give yourself normally um, or tell them that it's going to take to just give yourself enough time? It, it really it's, it's project to project. Like somebody sent me just a glyph that they had already done all the work on. And I'm like, oh, I can knock that out in a day. 
So I'll usually when they I'll say, you know, when people ask me questions, I go, send me what you want. And let me know what you want it on. And I will and I will work you up an estimate once I have all the details. You know, because it really like etching starts to vary, not just with the image itself, but once you figure out what kind of glass you want to put it on, that really changes things. What kind of options do you have? Uh, standard pint glasses, shot glasses, uh, 16 ounce mugs, 26 ounce mugs, uh, ceramic coffee cups, uh, wine, uh, stemless wine glasses, stemmed wine glasses of, you know, anywhere between 10 and 17 ounces, um, Belgian beer glasses, brandy snifters. Um, I, I've started since I've gone, I guess, legit. I've started buying more stuff in bulk. Uh, I used to just drive around town and hunt up stuff all piecemeal. Uh, but fi- consistently finding the same product got to be problematic. And so I just found a distributor online that had most everything I need for a decent price. And now I just order everything by the case. Um, but once you start getting into compound curves on glass, your vinyl stencils don't want to stick to those without warping. And so it, like, it takes a lot of finesse and sometimes you have to alter the image a little bit, uh, just so that when it gets stuck on the glass, it kind of corrects itself. So it, it can be time consuming. And so you really need all of the details of like, what kind of glass do you want it to go on? Like, what kind of image are we talking about? I, I can put like a, a tiny penny sized glyph on a super round piece of glass and it's no problem, but I can't, you know, once it starts to get into the one, two, three inch size, trying to get it to evenly wrap to that compound curve of a, like a glass surface. It just, it's, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to put, like a sticker on something round, it starts to bubble and warp and fold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just trying to get that. You have to cut it apart and apply it in sections and make sure there's no gaps and the overlay is good. And the image doesn't distort. So have you kind of started to learn, even when you're at the point where it's still on the computer and you don't have the vinyl printed out yet, I don't, are there shapes that you try to avoid or you know that after a certain amount of space, it's just, it's going to have to alter slightly. Yeah. I can look at the size of an image and the type of glass they want it on and just be like, okay, this is how I'm going to have to do it. Like if it's something, let's just say a a three inch by three inch square on a, a, like something that's got a, like a a red wine glass, it's got more of a rounded shape to it. Like that's something I'd like, I know from the get go, I'm going to have to cut that up into four sections and apply them individually. You know, um, if it's something that's got a little bit less of a curb, um, I've found that I can get away with using a heat gun and kind of conforming it carefully. So it's, I can kind of gauge it in my head of how it's going to go. And there are definitely styles of glass I avoid. Like what? Anything like abnormally round. Unless, I mean, unless they're like, they want very, very small etchings on it. You know, anything that the rounder and more detailed, it becomes exponentially more difficult the way I do things. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm just now sitting here thinking about a perfectly round like glass ornament. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, is the thickness of the glass, you know, can really have like pine glasses are great because they're just chalks. <laughs> With with straight sides, 
um, glass. I tried the round ball glass ornaments one year and like the way I do my sandblasting, it ate a hole right through it like real quick. And so I was just like, well, that's, uh, that's a no go. Fair enough. <laughs> so we've talked about, you know, some of the challenges and just some of the things that you've had to learn over time. Uh, but what about rewarding? Like, what would you say is the most rewarding part of running MC etching? The collaborations. Th- those have been just the absolute best. The, the, the getting to interface and interact with people like and the collaborations with like artists i respect that get a hold of me and i'm like you want to what now that the the biggest just absolute mind-bending incident was uh tess fowler got a hold of me well i did a gift piece for tess fowler when she started doing the D comic a darkened wish and i'd been a fan of tess uh forever and uh so she had tweeted recently uh, a love uh, a newfound love of scotch and then a single panel from the upcoming comic uh with a a picture of one of the characters face just black and white and then with the the body of the tweet saying my good sweet son and i was like and there it is i'm going to put that exact picture and the those words on a scotch glass as a gift as kind of a thank you for your art and so i just i did it just out of love and tweeted the, you know, just sent her a picture and was like, I don't know if you're going to get mad for me DMing you. Sorry. But like, I made this, uh, because just your art inspires me. And like, and like, I can totally understand if you don't want like random internet guy to mail something to you, but just, you know, saying I made a thing. And she responded was like, this is brilliant. And I'm going to need to commission two more pieces from you. (laughs) <laughs> just like my jaw hit the ground. What did she have you make? Two more characters from the Darkened Wish, her Kenku character, and then the main uh, female character. And thankfully on giant 26 ounce mugs because they were detailed. Like full on her art translated into etched glass. Uh, just a joy. To, and they were hand, I hand cut them all. Some of my proudest work. And I'm so glad I got to, to, to collaborate with uh, one of my favorite artists. And so, yeah, collaboration is like number one, the best thing with me. I, I've gotten to work with uh, uh, like Zero Reynolds. Uh, I did one of uh, his D&D sigils, uh, one on a piece for him, uh, his artificer sigil. And, and we did another one in conjunction as a giveaway. And that was a blast. Is there anyone that if you could have the opportunity to kind of work with them on something that you would just lose your mind about? Like, who would that be? Oh, that's hard. Cause there's so many great artists out there that I absolutely love. Uh, let's see. What is it just like uh, galactic Jonah on Twitter is uh, I'm a big fan. Um, oh, that's hard. Like, cause literally any artist out there, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge hype Lord when it comes to artists. Like I just, I just fanboy <laughs> over any art so bad that it's really hard for me to, I've got a few mutuals, uh, Mia Mercury art on Twitter. I would love to do a collab with her. Uh, she does amazing work. 
my friend uh, Darby uh, Pixel at Pixel Justice on Twitter. Uh, him and I have collaborated before, and I'd like to do more again. We did a giveaway of people. He would do portraits of people or caricatures of people in Animal Crossing art. And we did a giveaway where he did that art for somebody and I etched it on a mug for them. And I would love to do, cause he's, he does this series of small buildings that are the cutest. And I would love to do a wall hanging etching uh, of some of his small building stuff. Have you made other wall hangings? Like how large? Uh, not extremely large, maybe like three foot by three foot. I'm limited to my size with my sandblaster in my head. I have designs to turn a shed into a walk-in mm-hmm. sandblaster someday so that I can do like, I want to do large pieces, but generally like the big wall hangers for me, maybe like two foot by two foot, like mirror tiles. I do, I do a fair few of mirror tiles. Those are fun because you can etch the front and get like a reflected frosted glass, or you can actually etch off the reflective backing and then paint it a color. So that way the mirror is still smooth to the touch, but it's got like co- colored designs and whatnot. That sounds really pretty, really cool. Yeah, those are, I, I haven't done one in a while. Um, Mostly because I'm terrified to ship them because <laughs> they're so, so thin. <laughs> um, I used to do a long time ago for Sidecash. I would people that had classic cars that they would enter into car shows a lot. They would bring me uh, back when, you know, some of the older model cars that still that had wind wings on them. They would bring me the wind wing and I would put the car owner's information on it so that when judges were going around the uh, the car show or people that liked the car could get information on the owner and the vehicle it was just permanently etched onto the wind wing of their car that's cool there's a lot of like there's so many things that can be etched like i do glass i do ceramic i do metal i do acrylic it's a it's a pretty fun medium just look around and be like i think i can etch that and that's pretty much been a genesis for a lot of stuff is like you know what i think i can etch that (laughs) Is there any material that's like harder or easier than the other to etch on? Or like what kind of considerations do you have to take into account? Um, Metal, uh, you're not going to, well, with metal, you're not going to get as deep of an etch and it kind of doesn't show as brightly as it does on anything else. Uh, Ceramics, if it's a, a good ceramic and it's a dark color, you can usually surface etch it and it'll show if it's duller at all. You have to actually eat past the enamel on the outside and get to this like to the to the to the actual ceramic core of it to get it to show so you got to eat like an you got to sandblast like an eighth of an inch into this cup and that like that's time consuming you just sit there for like an hour pointing a sandblaster at a at a coffee cup just slowly etching away acrylics a little hard to show up sometimes you got to spend a little bit of time I'd have to say the ceramic is the worst. Just the sheer amount of time you got to sit there. Because if you crank up the sandblaster to too high of a pressure, it'll eat away your stencil. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So you really got to find that sweet spot of like, this is going to blast fast enough that I don't have to stand here all day, but it's also not going to eat away the vinyl the second I pull the trigger on this thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have any uh, upcoming projects that you're excited about and able to talk about? I'm trying to do 
like at least an eight hour workday stream. So people can kind of kind of get a feel for a, a, the life of the independent independent. Um, I've got like, I've got my shop wired up for uh, video. So you'll literally be able to watch me edit stuff on my computer, make designs, spit it out on the cutter, go over to my shipping station slash workstation and do that. And then watch me sandblast. I mean, people keep saying like, Oh, we want to see this. And I'm just like, just forewarning. It's like watching paint dry. <laughs> like it's re- it's just me walking back and forth, but I tend to, I'm very animated like all the time. And so I'm hoping it'll be at least somewhat entertaining. I'm probably going to try and do a charity thing in conjunction with it. Uh, once I figure out how to do that, <laughs> And then maybe add in some like challenges. I don't know, like channel points. Like I'll do some jumping jacks or something. I don't know. Something kilt related. People seem to like that. Yes, they do. Uh, How long have you been on Twitch? On Twitch? Oh man, not long at all. A few months actively. Okay. Like I think maybe I've had the account. Well, I've had the account for years and years i did a twitch stream maybe about a year or so ago and then for the last couple of months i've been actually doing scheduled streams yeah i mean those biddies uh and channel points dude tend to be crowd pleasers <laughs> can always do some fun things with that yeah well I'm, that's the thing i love community engagement i love anything you know people seem to to like uh, I just do real chill streams where I we just, you know, tell childish jokes and we're silly and we giggle a lot. I, I giggle a lot. <laughs> I know it's one is uh, like I find myself a lot with the Twitch stuff. Whenever I find something cool, my, I, I, my Twitch audience is very much that like, oh, I can't wait to show. I found this cool thing. I can't wait to show everybody at Twitch. You know, and I, I love waking up the next morning and be like, y'all, look what I found. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say thank you for kind of hopping on and chatting with me today. Where all can people find you? Primarily Twitter uh, at MC underscore etching. Instagram uh, at Punkle Nicks. If you're into the more of the himbo thing, I that's where I've kind of constrained all of that. <laughs> as silly as it is. If you're into kilt stuff, that's mostly Instagram. Etsy.com slash shop slash uh, MC Etching for like the majority of my sales stuff. I have a really garbage website at mcetching.com. It's pretty much just a gallery. You could just, I've got everything separated out by genre of stuff. Twitch.tv slash Punkle Nicks. And that's pretty much the areas that I frequent. Okay, I actually did want to ask and forgot. What is the story behind Punkle Nix? That start that's really like that really kicked off a lot of like quote unquote Twitter recognition. This I did a post a while back. I want to say it was close to a year ago. That because I've always been a punk rock kid. Like always, always, always. And I just, I was feeling some kind of way one day and I just jumped on. As a matter of fact, I think it was like almost exactly a year ago. And I was like, you know, the holidays are coming up. A lot of people out there have a lot of real 
garbage family members that just treat you terribly. And, and like, and I just told him, look, it, you know, it's your punk rock uncle here. Don't let your dad dump all over you telling you you're doing everything wrong. I remember when he was a complete, you know, screw up like the rest of us. So just remember that you're loved and you don't have to be perfect. And like that just blew up and everybody's just like, can you be my uncle? I'm like, as long as it's not like in a creepy way, sure. <laughs> and so, yeah, that just like, I, that just kind of took off and I just kind of embraced it. Well, thank you so much for being, you know, the amazing Punkle Nicks within our community and for always being so supportive for everyone. Uh, it's just, it's just so nice, honestly. <laughs> But yeah, thank you for jumping on with me today. Man, thank you for having me. This was a blast. I love doing stuff like this. That's it for today's episode of Roll, Play, Grow. To check out the show notes, you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. To keep up with every episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave me a review. Reviews are one of the best ways to help a newer podcast get up off the ground. To follow me on Twitter, you can either find me at LightheartADV for our business account or at KetraWCR to see me tweet about other things like my dog and World of Warfare. You can also find us as Lightheart Adventures on both Instagram and Patreon. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week on Role Play Grow.